Can you uh, help me understand this? Because I don't. Um, okay, extra hour of sleep today, right? I mean, it is a day better than Christmas as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I am so wiped out today. Are, are you with me in this? Are you in the same place? This doesn't logically connect for me. How is it that that happens? So I'm just going to warn, if I like sit down at some point during this, I, I am physically doing okay, but I, that's where we're going today, all right? And uh, may, maybe what we do today is, you know, sometimes I think of, you get those pictures out of Revelation where it talks about the throne room of heaven and it talks about just like the rumbling and the noise. It's like, it's like a rock concert on steroids. And sometimes that sounds amazing. And then there's days like today where it just sounds exhausting. Okay? Sometimes I think coming into God's presence is, is maybe more like going over to grandpa's house. You know... It's Sunday afternoon, and there's warm comfort food, and you're just going to kick back in a nice chair and take a nap. So if you're, you're in that place with me today, I encourage you, if your eyes are closed, I get it. We're just letting you know, the, the joy of the Lord bask us in the moment, and I won't take it personally, because I might do the same. Um, with that horribly long disclaimer, why don't we jump in here, all right? We have been going through a journey here through something that we're calling Jesus Bible. Why do we call it Jesus Bible? Well, because it's specifically the portion of the Bible that we know that Jesus would have used. I think a lot of us know this, but if you don't, the Bible's divided into two sections, Old Testament, New Testament. And the New Testament was written by Jesus' followers as a, 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 a concluding message, if you will, to the former. And the irony is... Most of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus are most unfamiliar with the Bible that shaped his ministry and informed his destiny and, and was the bedrock that he built upon. And my goal through this, and it's going to come out today, guys, I just want you to know it better. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, I don't care. You know, maybe you're here and you've got like three degrees in Old Testament studies, and maybe you're going like, Old Testament, what's that? Wherever you're at on that spectrum, I don't care. And you know, we don't care as a church. What we do want to see, though, is you take a step farther. Because I think there's something in there that's amazing and that's powerful. And that isn't old. That's alive and irrelevant. And uh, what that means is sometimes you've just got to learn something. Because sometimes you come across a passage that, that ends up being so informative to later parts of the Bible that you just got to kind of matrix this sucker and get into the grid of it and, and, and wrestle through it and learn the girth. That's what we're looking at today. It's one of these passages. I'm going to flash it up here in a moment. It, it looks short, relatively uninspiring, and uh, you kind of walk away going, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal of what we're going to look at here today is that later biblical writers found their lives on this. The New Testament writers use this passage as a foundation for everything that they start thinking about and writing about and talking about. It is that important, albeit that unassuming at first glance. So, let's get it, all right? It's Genesis chapter 12. 
Here it is. And what I'd like you to do is just uh, get it on your lips with me this morning. Would you read this with me? The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. It's only three verses. You read them and you go, okay, let's move on. But I'm telling you guys, and I, and I, I want you to take my word for this. These three verses shape the entire trajectory of the Bible. It takes some of these basic foundational things that we've been looking at earlier and it, and it funnels it, or, or better put, refracts it through a new lens. It takes things like Genesis 1 and Genesis 3 and it shines it through this new lens that gives it a new focus that the rest of the Bible is going to dig into. And so what I want you to do today is just get some of why this is so important and what the later writers do with it. Make sense? All right, so let's start. It begins by saying this. The Lord, if you ever see it, capital O-R-D, it's a, um, Yahweh is the name underneath in Hebrew. Yahweh said to Abram. Now, Abram here is the guy that you might better know out of the Bible as Abraham. You ever get like those cold, like, chills in the middle of the night when you get a Sunday school flashback and those like haunting songs come like Father Abraham and many You know, th- this is the Abraham that we're talking about here. Abram, Abraham, same guy, different name. All right? The Lord said to Abram. Question. Why did he say anything to him to begin with? No. Why this guy? Why Abram? If you read the story of Genesis up to this point, he's completely unmentioned, except for one time in a genealogy, just in a list of names. We know how riveting those are, right? There is no comment given on him. Nothing to make him stand out from anyone else in the list. No special mention, no special qualities. It isn't like, man, Abraham, that that guy rocked. That guy was awesome. That guy was tight with God. Nothing like that. There is nothing there. It is just a guy. An ordinary, everyday, regular guy. And God chooses him. Why does God choose him? It doesn't say. And that is something at the heart of this. Because God can choose whoever he wants. Now, theologians and the rest of the Bible will call this election. To elect someone. Now, in a couple of days here, we're going to have elections, right? Um, on Tuesday, we're going to have elections. And as a U.S. citizen, you have the right to go into a little booth or sit at a table and choose whichever candidate happens to be on the list. And if you don't want one of those, you can choose to write one in of your own accord as you deem fit, right? 
Now think about this. Your choice doesn't have to be a good one, right? It doesn't have to be thought out. It doesn't have to be researched. Your choice could be completely... I mean, you can wake up on, on Tuesday morning and go, you know what? I'm voting today for people with brown hair. You can do that if you want. Maybe you like, collect all the junk mail that comes, you know, the, the direct ads and stuff, and you go, you know what? That guy's hot, that guy's not, I'm voting for him. And you have the right to do that. Because the purpose and point of election is you have the right to choose whoever you want to choose, no matter what. You with me? It is the exact same with God. God can choose whoever he wants to choose. And the storyline of the Bible shows us that God often does. You know, this, this guy Abraham, there's nothing special about him. I mean, he... he Big a sinner as you, you know this guy's storyline? You know what he does later in his story? He, uh, he's actually married to his sister. That's weird in its own right. And then when people fall in love with his sister, he says, tell him you're my sister because I don't want him knocking me off. And he kind of pawns her off into harems. All right? Okay, this is the guy that God chooses to bless. All right? God chooses who he wants to choose. God chooses sinful people. Ordinary people, regular people, messed up people, deeply flawed people. Just like you and just like me. And the rest of the Bible will make a big deal of this. Now, it says, the Lord said to Abram, and read the next quote with me through the second line, okay? Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. You know what I find? When God comes forward with his choice, his election, we can call it his grace. It often calls for response. And that response is something that gets termed in the Bible as faith. I mean, think about what God is telling Abram to do. Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, right? And go to this land that I'm going to show you. Leave your loved ones. Leave your comfort zone. Leave your place of security and prosperity. Leave your family. In the ancient world, leave your government. Leave your employment. Leave your inheritance? Have you ever found that when God calls, there often seems to be a cost? God will come and choose and give something freely, and he'll say, I will lavish it upon you. But then he calls for response. He says, trust me. See, faith gets so messed up in Christian circles. Faith, for whatever reason, gets reduced to this idea of, of, of kind of coming up with the right ideas about someone. But in a biblical matrix, faith is something different than that. Faith is not just having the right ideas about what is true or not true about God. Faith is about trust. It is about response. It's about saying, 
God, you've called me to do something and it defies common sense. It goes against logic. It is uncomfortable. I'm afraid. But I've got a choice to make. And Abraham implicitly is called to trust. And the later biblical writers will make a big deal about this. I think of the phrase that says, the only way to truly discover what God is calling you to is to step out of your comfort zone and take leaps of faith. I don't like that. I wish I could rewrite that because what I wish God would call me to is that little cocoon where it's safe and it's warm and comfortable and predictable and all in the world is going to feel okay. But guys, I would not be doing my job if I stood up here today and told you that that is the way of reality with God. God is a dangerous God. God will call us to things that defy our common sense, that go beyond logic, and that are scary. God will push us to things we never thought possible or capable, and he will say, come, follow me. I I, I just try to imagine what that conversation had to be like between Abram and, and God that day. Go to the land I will show you. And it's like Abram going, okay, great, where is it? And God goes, yeah, I'll show you. You, you, you know, how many times are we sitting there wrestling with God going, Lord, just, okay, so where are you taking me? Where is this leading? What does the future look like? And God says, follow me and I'll show you. Ooh, does that just like make you horribly uncomfortable? But that's the way it is. I think of what Jesus once said. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. And I think deeply about the story of Abram and what would have happened if things had gone another way. Now, embedded within the rest of this is a promise that God makes. We've been calling them covenants. Now, the word covenant doesn't actually appear in this three-verse spread. But if you read the rest of the Genesis story, you'll see it comes out again and again that it assumes this as being part of a covenant that God makes with Abram. Now, you cannot understand the Bible apart from understanding covenants. A covenant, again, just for review, is nothing more than this. It is a contract. A covenant is just a fancy church Bible word that means contract. God makes contracts with people. And what's cool about God's contracts is, if you look at this one, there's no strings attached. There's no... Conditions. I mean, he tells them to do something, don't get me wrong. But you you don't get any of this if-then stuff happening here, right? He just says, I'm going to do it. Why would God do that? He's God. 
Why would God make a contract with anyone, especially creatures like us who are beneath him? There's no advantage to him. There's nothing he gets out of it. Why would God lower himself, bind himself, swear himself into an oath and a pledge if there wasn't anything in it for him? Because that's the kind of God he is. And the later biblical writers will make a big deal about that. Now, tucked within this covenant are three things that, guys, you just got to know. You just got to know if you want your reading of the Bible to make sense. Let me sum them up quickly. He says this, go to a land, right? Remember land. He says, I will make you into a great nation, okay? Remember that, great nation, and I will bless you. Remember that, bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Three things I want you to remember. Blessing, seed, land. Say it with me. Blessing, seed, land. That doesn't seem exciting right now, I know. But if you can remember those three things... And remember the significance of what stands behind them. I think your reading of the Bible will start to open up in new ways. Now, long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, we looked at Genesis chapter 1. Tucked within this creation story in Genesis 1, God laid out a mandate for humanity. He said, I'm going to make humanity in my image. You are in the image of God. Male and female, it said, he's going to make in his likeness and image. Who here is male? Who here is female? You are made in the image of God. Who here is none of the above? Can't help you, don't know. All right. He's made you to be his image bearer. Can I put it this way? His idol. That's what an idol is. You are the idol of God. His image, his form, his likeness, his tangible presence in a place. And he blessed them. You know, when I think about the way that God just simply chooses, apart from anything that I do to make him choose me, it really makes me uncomfortable. Because it makes me realize how out of control in the situation I actually am. And the thing that brings a ray of hope within all of this is this thing that you see again, God blessed them. That the God who chooses is a God who desires to bless. I know some of you are thinking it's contrary, but do you realize that God wants to bless you? God's desire and his heart is blessing for you. God chooses people so he can bless them. He doesn't choose people so he can curse them. God wants to be a God, above all, of blessing. Now, 
He made them to be image bearers. And he says, be fruitful and multiply, which is kind of his way of saying make more image bearers. I want my likeness, my image, to go out further. I want it to expand to the ends of the earth. I want my image to be everywhere, God says. I want people to know me and see me and know what I'm about. And tucked within that, he'll say, and rule. Don't just kind of show up and go, hey, man, you know, the guy who looks like God is here. Bring my kingdom. Rule. Bring my goodness and my grace and and, and the way that I've made the world to be. Bring it out and bring it to the ends of the earth so people can experience the blessing that I want to bring. And he says, fill the earth. Bring it to the ends. Blessing, seed, land. Do you see it? All right. Go back to Genesis 12. What's really going on here? Go to a land. Go to a land that I'll show you. It's starting to happen, isn't it? They're going out. They're bringing the image out to other places. I will make you a great nation. Have you ever seen a nation of one? What does a nation imply? Fruitfulness and multiplication, shall we say? It's going to grow. And what's God going to do? Bless them. He's going to bless them. See, what's going on here in Genesis 12 is it's taking what God always intended there to be in the beginning at his creation before we royally messed it up, and he's refocusing it. He's refocusing it through one that he chooses. And you know what's cool about this is the blessing for this guy, Abram, alone. I will make your name great, rock on. And you will be a blessing. To whom? I love the last line of this. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. See, we grossly mistort and misunderstand what God is about if we think that somehow his blessings are just for me. That somehow God is just interested in me. But God chooses this one called Abram to be blessed, but to be a vehicle for blessing as well. Say, you're the one, get out there. You're the one, it's through you that it's going to be carried on. Abram, come follow me because there is something I'm going to do through your and your descendants, your nation and name, if you will, that will be a blessing to all peoples on the earth through you. And if they bless you, they'll be blessed. And if they curse you, they'll be cursed. Why does God do it that way? I don't know. Because that's how he chose to do it. And so what that means for us today, and what it meant for the biblical writers from Genesis 12 on, is not seeking God and his blessings on our terms, but seeking them where he chooses to give them. Does that make sense? 
How many times have you prayed for God to bless something that you were up to, that you wanted to do, that was important to you? Hey, keep praying it. Go for it. But if in that prayer you do not come to a place where you bend your knee and say, but God, may thy will be done, you may never find what God is talking about. Because God invites us to find him as he chooses to be revealed. To be blessed as he chooses to bless. And it's from this promise right here. And how it echoes forth that the promises and covenants and activities of God start coming into focus. This is Genesis 12. You will not get beyond a certain place of understanding what God is up to in this world without understanding some of these roots right here. A God who chooses and chooses to bless. A God who calls people to trust him and a blessing that will come forth through his line, through his seed, to fill the entire earth with God's kingdom and blessing. Guys, make this your own because it's unassuming on the surface. But it is that important for where we go from here.